When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to the Professional Book Nerds podcast presented by Overdrive. This is Joe. Hi, hello. Before we dive into today's author interview, just wanted to remind y'all to rate, review, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you like to listen. Make sure you're following us on social media. We're on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok at ProBookNerds. And of course, if you want to get in touch with us, make suggestions for future episodes, all that good stuff, you can send us an email. That email address is professionalbooknerds.com at overdrive.com. With all that said, let's get into my interview with Krista Bilton. My guest today has written an amazing story about her life and experience of meeting her 35 siblings. The title of her new book is called Normal Family and will be out on July 12th from Little Brown and Company. It's Krista Bilton. Hi, so nice to be here with you. Thank you. Thank you for being here. I'm so excited that you could take the time to talk about your book. Yeah, th- thanks so much. I, I love the podcast. So such a pleasure to be here. <laughs> I, I love to hear that. I'm so glad you're here and I'm glad that you're listening as well. Uh, to get us started, do you mind sharing with the listeners uh, a little bit about Normal Family? Yeah, no, I'm, I'm happy to. Um, so uh, there are three big narrative threads in the book. The first, which the subtitle speaks to, is that in my mid-20s, I found out that my father, who struggles with homelessness and schizophrenia, had secretly, after I was born, um, become a very prolific sperm donor at the California Cryobank. Um, And it turned out I had anywhere between several dozen and possibly over 100 uh, siblings, biological siblings, all over the United States. So the you know one part of the book is sort of about me making that discovery and then all the truly wild ramifications of it one of which being that the only reason um i even ultimately discovered that i had this large biological family was because at the time uh, my mother discovered this i was unknowingly dating my half brother so that's that's one ha- one part of the story and then um probably the larger segment of the book is about growing up with my larger than life lesbian mother in the 80s and 90s Los Angeles. Um, She was an incredibly loving and magical woman, but also incredibly complex. And she struggled with alcoholism and drug addiction. And, you know, she herself had cycled through several cults in her own life. Um, And often throughout my childhood, paid the bills through wild pyramid schemes and scams that led us to at some points living in multi-million dollar LA mansions one minute and, you know, other times not having anywhere to live. So it's a portrait, I guess, also of what it's like as a child to grow up in that kind of instability um, where, you know, you have a primary caregiver who has sort of addiction issues. And then I guess the third and final narrative thread in the book is that it's a coming of age story 
um, about coming to terms with where we come from and unpacking the stories of our parents and their childhoods and secret traumas or mental or biological or spiritual struggles, and then looking at the threads of how those impact our own lives and what we might be unconsciously carrying around. And then finally, I guess it's a book about um, asking this question of what is family. So of course, the listeners can't see it, but I can't help but react. Like, I know what your book is about. <laughs> and still everything you said, I was like, yes, right. <laughs> we knew this, but it's it's a shocking tale. And oddly enough, also it, it is just uh, in so many ways, no matter what thread you're breaking down is a very relatable tale, especially when you hit that kind of last question of what exactly is family. Um, such a Such a large question to ask. And it all kind of is defined and means so many different things to so many different groups of people, just depending on relationships. Right. Of course. Yeah. You have, you have your chosen family, you have your biological family, you have, you know, the people that were around that weren't related to you, but maybe were even more meaningful. So um, yeah, it's just, I, I, I don't have the answers to those questions, but <laughs> <Of> I course. <laughs> The book hopefully asks some really um, interesting questions around that that just make people think about it. When you can get through each kind of thread like you phrased it, it gives you the opportunity to pause and reflect on what those questions mean to you and how you can answer them in your own life. And I think that's a beautiful piece of this book, being able to look at your story and say, wow, this is a person who's lived through so many different things. And I'm a person who's lived through uh, you know, uh, uh, my own version of this, how do I answer this first question? How do I look at my relationship with my parents? How do I look at my relationship with people who deal with uh, different sort of addictions, disorders, anything like that? And it's, I think it's, it's super helpful as a, as a touchstone because it's, it's so different in a way that your story is so unique, but it, I also find it just very relatable to be able to glean that piece for myself. Mm, yeah, I, I, I mean, I, of course, the story is wild in so many ways, yes. but I, <laughs> but I also think there are so many universal experiences in it. Um, I think you know that's why I love memoir in general, or or even absolutely novels that touch on some of these themes. But um, so yeah, my my hope was that there are pieces that are super relatable, and and that's ultimately why I wrote the book, just because I love this genre myself, and yeah. I, I'm right there with you. I'm a lover of memoirs. I've said it before. It gives me the chance to step into someone else's shoes, especially if it's something I can't relate to. That kind of wanting to be relatable is part of, or or kind of like wanting to share your story is what inspired you to share? Or how did you come about wanting to write this book and tell tell the world who you are and what your life was like? Yeah, I think I think it's been a long journey and I, it's hard for me to unpack exactly why I wrote the book because there are definitely different reasons sure. why I wrote it. So I think I actually tried, I've been trying for since I was 17 to write different parts of this story. Of course, not, you know, finding out in my mid-20s that I had the siblings because that came later. But I, I think the the origin of me wanting to write this story was, was trying to make sense of what I was going through. And I think that narrative has like a really powerful way of just helping us process. So, mm -hmm. um, but at that time, I think I was also still suffering from some of the effects of the craziness of what I had been through. And I don't know that I had 
really the insight or the perspective on what I was, you know, I was in the thick of it. Right. So maybe in, in retrospect, that's why I couldn't finish anything. I mean, I, I write a, a scene here or a chapter there and, you know, a lot of that stuff wound up getting thrown away ultimately. Cause I, mm-hmm. this draft of the book I read, I wrote over the last three years, but okay. um, I think that the second piece was I grew up you know, I grew up with a lot of shame around some of the things I had been through and that that's definitely a subtle thread throughout the book. So for much of my life, people, even close friends that I met didn't, didn't necessarily know any of my truth. And, um, I remember when my sister was in college, she, 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 I, it was, uh, maybe winter break or something like that. And we were seeing each other and she, she ran me a copy of the glass castle. And she said, you won't believe it. They assigned this in class it's our story. I mean, it's not our story, Mm -hmm. but it is. And look, she just wrote it honestly. And it was like our secret, this book. And I think I just realized like, oh, if, you know, once I ultimately got to a place where I was honest about who I was and able to share that with people, I think even just, you know, stories like that can, can have such a profound impact because you're like, oh, I don't have to be ashamed of this thing. So many other people go through this. It's just private. Right. And that's a, perfect parallel the glass castle is it it's unabashed about this is what i went through this is how it hurt me and finding stories like that that's that's why like first i have to say thank you for taking the steps to share this kind of work i mean it's so deeply personal and i I hope that you know or that you see that someone is going to come home from a break at some point in their life and say, Hey, this is our story. You know, you you're giving a, a new interpretation of that as well. Yeah, I hope so. Just cause there, you know, there's so much, even though I feel like we're moving forward in so many ways, I still think mm-hmm. there's so much stigma around, you know, family members struggling with drug addiction or, right. um, you know, family members struggling with mental illness, mm-hmm. um, these are things people often keep secret because they think people will judge them or, and you know, right. it's so it's that you're missing out on such an important life experience when you can share your truth with other people and realize that most people, at least the people that are worth having in your life will be compassionate. They won't judge you for these things, but it's hard to come to that place. They're going to accept you regardless of what your story is, as long as you are the person you're meant to be. They will accept you. And that's, that's a hard lesson to learn at any age, especially when you're trying to journal out your feelings, basically at 17 of what you've been going through to write that first iteration of this book. Totally. Yeah. And then, you know, I mean, it's, it's sort of a separate thread, but you know, another mm-hmm. important thread in the book is that my mom was, you know, was gay growing up in the fifties and sixties and starting trying to start a family in the early eighties at a time that none of her friends, not a single, you know, gay or lesbian person had started a family. She just didn't know a single one. And so like her making it up as she went along and, you know, the 90s, I think we forget how far we've come, especially on the coasts. Definitely. um, So the book is also a portrait of, you know, this, what was so radical at the time, my mother having a kid on her own and, um, you know, that time period. That is such an interesting thought. I hadn't even thought of just the, to to be a single parent now is, is seen differently in so many circumstances, but still even to do what she did to set out to be a parent 
as a queer person, as, you know, just someone who wants to have a child when no one in your life is doing it is still a pretty unique story. Totally. Uh, and imagine it in 1980. I mean. Right. Where, where you yeah. have no rights, no protections and, and you're truly going, it's, I mean, she was a pioneer. Uh, you know, there was, it was the wild west of what was going to happen. Now, what was the reaction like from your family and from your close circle when you decided to start writing and sharing this story within, like you said, the last three years? Yeah. So my mother loved the idea at first, um, because, at first. It, <laughs> <laughs> because it meant sitting with her and asking her questions about her life for hours on end. And, you know, <laughs> she loves telling stories. I think that she thought of it a little bit like I was doing a book report for school or something. I don't mm -hmm. know that she fully grasped that I was publishing a book. And so when I handed her, you know, a draft of the book, then began what was a long process of her being okay with it. Um, sure. And that was tough at first, honestly. Uh, you know, we, we went to therapy over it. We, you know, she had, you know, extensive notes. <laughs> um, I can only imagine. <laughs> and, and the notes were never, this didn't happen. It was just more that. Um, <laughs> I want know, this represented a little differently. A little differently. <laughs> yeah. Um, but you know, so that was, there, there was a period where that was rough and I considered pulling the book actually, because mm -hmm. I care so much about my mom and we have such a beautiful relationship today. But I, I ultimately think that you know, in many ways, the book is a tribute to my mother because she mm -hmm. is, she is so flawed in so many ways, but also such an incredible person in so many other ways. And she ultimately did get sober and she's a great grandmother. And so I think stories about people that are, you know, not one dimensional, but are full human beings are right. fascinating. And, you know, I think that, I think that people will, I, I hope come out of the book, loving her at least a certain portion of them. And, uh, she's, she's, she's overcome her, her issues. And now, now she kind of loves it again. So, you know, it's a process. <laughs> she's also beautifully featured on your Instagram. You can always see her being a happy grandma. Uh, you know, I like to do my research, see everything just kind of, you know, what our authors are sharing with the world. And you posted a photo where I'm just like, yep, that's a happy grandma. She's living, you know, she's living her best life now. Totally. Yeah. So she thought you were sitting down and she's just like, okay, cool. I'll help you make the family tree. We're just going to share some stories. And it transformed. But did you find that time together? Um, you know, I know you said you went to therapy and, and it was transformative. Did you also find it to be healing as you went through kind of the story of your lives together? Yes, it was. You know, I think I, I think as children, we so often, even though we're living day to day with these people that are raising us, we mm -hmm. sometimes don't really know them that well in like a deeper sense. We know them right. as they interact with us, but we don't necessarily deeply understand their histories. Right. And I think, you know, so many people focus on forgiving our parents, but I think there's like another step, which is just understanding them. Right. Or even getting to know them and getting to know them. Yes. Yeah. And so that was, that was a really beautiful process. And I think also hmm, growing up as a kid, I had worked very hard to protect my mother emotionally. So I hadn't mm -hmm. always shared my truth with her. 
Um, And so it was wild having her read the story and sort of fully grasp what it was like to live with her through some of these, you know, harder times. And, and, and there were some, some beautiful moments of, she doesn't like looking at dark times. So she sort of starts to skip over some of that, but there were some times when she was like, I'm so sorry that that was hard for you or yeah. That is so beautiful to hear though, that even though it was tough for her, you were both able to say like, look, this, this is who I am. I want to, I want to get to know you through this. And also I want you to know me. It's so easy to fall into the role of, of parent um, and child. And even when at some point that starts to flip where you become the caregiver a little bit more, uh, it's nice to have that friendship first. It's nice to have something that you can touch back to and say like, I can think of my mother as an individual and not just as mom. Totally. Yeah. Now, did anyone else in your family have anything to say as you were writing this? Yeah. So I also, I interviewed my father extensively, Mm -hmm. but that's, um, as as you know, from reading the book, that's a a tricky relationship. Um, Definitely. He, you know, I'm not a doctor, so I won't give him a diagnosis, but he's, you know, his relationship with reality is strained at times. But the interesting thing about him is that when, um, when reflecting on the past, he's very lucid. It's just sort of present when, yeah. So it was, it was incredibly interesting comparing, you know, comparing what my mother remembered and what my father remembered. And he, you know, I haven't shown him a finished copy of the book. I don't know that he'll ever read it, but, mm-hmm. um, but it was nice to spend some time with him and hear his, you know, hear about his own childhood wounds and all that. So then there are, you know, I, I changed the names of a lot of just the side characters that didn't mean it's just cause I didn't, I didn't write this book to, to you know, out people, to out people. So, you know, I sadly had to get rid of some of the amazing girlfriends my mom's had because, mm-hmm. you know, some of those aren't, those women aren't publicly out. Um, right. Oh, sure. So I, uh, yeah, but I didn't write the book with that intention. I, I had, I gave my parents their real names, but I changed a lot of other people. And then, you know, I, every sibling that I mentioned in the book, I had them read to make sure they were okay with it. So, yeah. And my sister was fine with most of it. She, <laughs> she asked for a couple of things to be removed, which didn't affect the story. So, I can't blame her. I know if either of my siblings wrote a book, I'd say, hey, I'm the one who should be writing the book first, but I'd also <laughs> probably really steer that ship. <laughs> yeah, of course, siblings, siblings. Have, but, you know, she also read the book and she she provided some amazing, she's like, wait, you forgot this thing that mom said or this amazing story. So she was also incredibly helpful. It's so interesting what we hold on to as as members of a family, as as siblings, mm. kind of in the line of things, that things that really stand out to you, your sister probably didn't even register, but something that was super poignant to her. I I love hearing that this was not to take anything away from you, but a collaborative effort that there was mm. input from the people involved. I mean, I just love that. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, I lo- I love my family so much. So, and I think absolutely you know, writing memoir is such a tricky business because mm-hmm. you're writing your truth and you have a right to that truth. But when you are telling other people's stories that, you know, are sometimes unflattering, that's right. really interesting ethical territory. And it's not, I don't have any easy answers for it. I felt compelled to write this story, but there mm-hmm. were 
things that I put in, you know, the interesting thing is the things that my mother had the, took the greatest issue with putting in the book, mm-hmm. um, were the things that I thought made her the most endearing. So she didn't oh. want, she was completely fine with me telling all the crazy stories of her drug addiction, for example, because <laughs> she's like, I'm a sober alcoholic and drug addict. And you know, other people can relate to that. She sort of can, can get behind that. Sure. But she had a lot of shame around some of our economic struggles. Interesting. Um, and she had a lot of shame around her own childhood trauma and she wanted to protect her dead parents. And wow. so that is fascinating to me. Absolutely. And I'm like, mom, if I don't tell this story, the other stuff is, you know, these, these it doesn't are the make things, sense how we it got doesn't make here. Any sense. <laughs> and also those are the things that people can relate to. And the, the, I mean, of course the drug addiction, people can relate to that as well, but right. um, it's just so fascinating, you know? So I held her hand through that stuff. Cause I also think, you know, I don't want to give away part of the story, but my mother had some you know, some really formative trauma with her, mm. especially her father. And right. I tell a story later in the book that sort of makes sense of some things that she had, you know, some ways she had coped with what she was going through. And um, it, that, you know, I, I, I sort of held her hand and led her to being okay with me putting it in the book because I just felt that uh, it was really, it, you know, it was amazing. You know, I talked about my own shame as a child and not telling people my truth. And my mother had also this incredible shame that she had never even told me. And so that just isolates us so much from other people when we're not. Mm -hmm. And it's amazing that it can be. And and what was so wild is when I ultimately found out some of these secrets that she thought were so shameful, she never wanted me to know. Right. That made me love her so much more. And that brought us so much closer. And that's sort of the irony of shame as a feeling it it is so ironic that the things that dehumanize us when we make when we make choices that people judge or question or that we feel shame around the part that keeps people from treating us like people are those things that we think would really actually tear us down it is that like this is the way i was hurt this is why i'm reacting this way and the the her ability to break down and and find a, a path to be willing to share with you is also what lends so much credence and so much to this to your story to this book um also like i just appreciate that as you're writing a memoir which if we look at like the decades past of memoirs where it was like yeah, there is a moral tightrope to walk. Most people jump off that tightrope and they walk right along the street and trample everyone with it. So I am I am so glad that we're ushering in kind of a new era of of honesty and earnesty and and being mindful, you know, sharing our stories, sharing our truths, showing people how they impact us because it's, you know, once again another way that people can think about how they say something to someone else, but um, I mean, just truly kudos, props, whatever, whatever could be said to, to doing this in a way that feels like it's you. Oh, thank you so much. Yeah. I can imagine, I know, I, I, I can't imagine the emotional overhaul of going through and sharing this. How did you protect yourself while writing? Hmm. I, you know, honestly, the writing of this book, you know, I have two young kids mm-hmm. and, um, and so 
and you know other other sort of day jobby work that I was doing to keep us afloat. So right. I really wrote this book in between things when I had time. So I don't know that. Although they say, you know, when you want something done, ask a busy person. And there's definitely truth to, um, you know, there were, you know, a lot of years when I maybe had much more free time and I just could not get this story down. And somehow the constraints of it just made it easier to write in a strange way because I just had to really focus when I had those open windows. And um, sure. But, you know, one of the things I definitely did was just, I just read a lot on my free time as much as I could. I, I read other books that I felt, you know, I, I read a lot of fiction actually to inspire mm -hmm. the story. Cause one of the harder, one of the difficult things about this book is that it's, it is from the first person. It's my experience, but I also told the story of my parents and this backstory of how we ultimately got to all of the siblings. And so I hadn't really seen a lot of examples of of first person and then sort of this omniscient narrator. Um, so, but I found them more in novels. So I was yes. reading those a bit. <laughs> so, you know, there were some, some storytelling challenges. I wanted it to be a page turner. So I sometimes mm -hmm. read thrillers to see how they did that. Cause you know, the worst thing would be someone reading a couple chapters and then dropping off. And I really want people to read the book. So I worked right. very hard to make it you know, of course it's, it's, it's a memoir. It's all sto true stories, but for each story that I told, there were probably 30 that I didn't tell. So, you know, plot was still something I had to think a lot about, even if it was, yeah. I don't know if that makes sense. Oh, that makes, no, that makes so much sense. Now I'm thinking of like, as I'm furiously flipping through, like, yes, your story is compelling on its own, even if you had just pen to page, but knowing that you were using thrillers as your building, as like your foundation, now it makes absolute sense. The pacing, the kind of swapping of voice. It, it was the light bulb moment for me. <laughs> As you said that, I was like, oh, yep, duh. That makes so much sense. <laughs> so are you, um, other than like in this kind of uh, prep work phase, are you also a big reader? I'm a huge reader. Yes. I, I, I love reading. I love old books, new books, memoir, biography, you know, psychology, mm -hmm. um, old Russian literature is a favorite. Um, I also love audiobooks. Uh, love audiobooks. <laughs> I have, I have pretty intense ADD and, you know, to be able to take a walk and listen to a, a 45 hour audiobook over the course of months is a really rewarding experience. So Absolutely, without a doubt. Uh, that's the only way I get. I, I mean, I I own my house and I live alone, but I still call them my chores. The only way I get my chores done <laughs> is if I can put in an audiobook or a podcast and like feel like I'm being double productive. Totally. <laughs> but also, like you said, busy people, you got to fit things in where you can. Yeah, definitely. Now, speaking of audiobooks, you mm. recorded the audio for your audiobook. What was that like for you? Oh my gosh, I have so much respect for people that do this for a living. And in fact, I did listen to your amazing episode with Julia Whalen. Um, she is wonderful. And she did, just for the listeners, she did send the ginger cookie recipe. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. They are delicious. <laughs> awesome. Yeah, no, I, you know, they asked me if I would do it. And at first I was very hesitant because mm -hmm. no one likes the sound of their own voice, except for the very few that are given these incredible voices. 
mine is not one of those, but, um, but after listening to a couple narrators that they sent over as options, I was just like, you know, that doesn't sound like me. And so even, so I ultimately said, okay, but I have so much respect for the people that do this work because it is hard work. You're sitting in this little booth and drinking as much honey and, you know, as much honey tea as you possibly can. And still for the first 20 minutes, you sound croaky and, (laughs) (laughs) and and the way that those setups work I mean I'm at home in my basement but when I go into the office and even our studio which is nothing compared to the studios that narrators record in it's it's next level it's they're tiny they're cramped and right you can truly hear yourself in a way you probably didn't ever want to hear yourself (laughs) oh my gosh yes they hear every stomach gurgle um (laughs) But it was, you know, it was also, it was rewarding hearing the story back Mm -hmm. because so often as, you know, as a writer, you're working on this chapter and then this chapter, once you get into edit phase, it's all over the map and there's not really a chance to do it all through in a sweep. And so rereading it is, um, was a wild experience actually. Yeah. Especially when it's your life, you know? Yeah. I can't imagine hearing myself tell myself my own story. (laughs) Although I think I could imagine that better than, like you said, than someone else. So it felt like an authenticity choice. It was more, it was just more authentic for you to be able to tell the story than have another narrator do it. I think so. And I had recently listened to a few, you know, um, Jeanette Walls did the glass castle, Mm -hmm. her own one. And recently, you know, Ashley C. Ford did her own. And I was just like, there is something, there is something about the spoken voice when it's the author telling the story of memoir that is, you know, so I hope that I do a good job. I haven't heard it back. (laughs) I'm so excited to hear it. (laughs) (laughs) But um, yeah, that's sort of what it came from. Just that I would know the way my mom would say something or the way my father would say something. And that would be intuitive. So it's another another beautiful way to look at it as well. You already have the shorthand for their conversation style. I mean, uh, from the the narrators I've talked to in the past, a lot of times the questions that they ask are, "How would you say this? How would this be pronounced? How do you feel like your character would want this?" You know, and and when you have a person to it, that would probably be. I'm glad you didn't have to go through it. That would probably be a whole different other kind of upheaval. Like, no, you're you're not getting you're not getting them right. <laughs> <laughs> totally. Yeah. I mean, you know, had Julia Whalen been presented to me, I'm sure I would have said go for it, but <laughs> I don't disagree. I'd happily listen to her tell me about me. <laughs> <laughs> I listened, she did Tara Westover's book, which was so mm-hmm. wonderful. And uh she's just really amazing. She she is truly a gift to to the audiobook community. And I'm I'm glad she's on just about everything nowadays because I'm always happy when it's her name that pops up in the in the narrator description. <laughs> Definitely. Yeah. I had another narrator who I love who did um there are many versions of it, but he's this French man who narrated mm-hmm. um Les Mis. Oh, and I proceeded to listen to every other thing he had narrated because I became so attached to his voice. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, if anyone's looking for a recommendation, that's that's one I definitely recommend. Another another truth you've provided that I can truly relate to. Once you <laughs> once it's like you found a friend, and you don't really care what the story is about. 
at first because you're like, I know this person, it's comfortable. But then it also translates into finding a lot of great books in a way you never would have expected. That's so true. That's so true. Little Brown describes Normal Family as a riveting, nuanced portrait of unforgettable characters thrown together by chance and DNA. It's a story of nature, nurture, and coming to terms with one's true inheritance. Now let's take a quick break for our sponsor. Before you book any brunch, you pour over lists and lists of reviews. So why not do the same thing when booking a doctor's appointment? With ZocDoc, you can see real, verified patient reviews to help find the right doctor in your network and in your neighborhood. After all, finding the right doctor is just as, if not more, important than finding the right plate of Eggs Benedict. Go to ZocDoc.com slash ProBookNerds and download the ZocDoc app for free. Then start your search for a top-rated doctor today. Many are available within 24 hours. That's Z-O-C-D-O-C dot com slash probooknerds. ZocDoc.com slash probooknerds. And now let's get right back into talking about those books. How did you navigate a cast of basically 35 plus characters also throwing your parents into that and you know your own you know kind of family dynamic now how did you manage planning out and sharing all of those stories I know you've said that you gave each sibling that was talked about their their portion to read after it was done but what was the prep yeah that's a great question um you know I I introduced characters slowly and probably thematically so that people could keep track. Um, and you know, the, the sibling, so I start the book with me inviting 35 of the, or, you know, I I forget exactly how many I invited, but a, a large group of the siblings to my house for what we called a sibling reunion. Um, most of, most of them I had not met at that point. And I had found out about them 10 years prior but had wanted nothing to do with this large biological family. So the book starts with me sort of welcoming them to my home after this 10 years. And then I go back in time to my conception and tell the story of how this all came to be. Sort of, as you said, in a thriller-like way where you know we see how, how my mother meeting my father ultimately leads to him donating secretly to the California cryobank. And then, um, but then we, we go through my many different family units as I grew up which were not this biological family, you know, because my right. mother had a different girlfriend every few years, sometimes with their own kids who would become step siblings. So we sort of follow that slowly and then get back to me meeting, sort of me discovering the siblings, me dating my half brother, and then me deciding this is not my family. I don't want anything to do with them. Mm-hmm. And then telling the story of how that changed. And I think. Uh, you know, as you, as you read, um, the, the thing that really changed my mind about all this was that I, I just, uh, one of, one of my half sisters. So I went to this tiny art school in Florence, Italy for classical painting, um, as one does, uh, you know, at this obscure tiny school that no one has ever heard of that 30 kids, mostly from Europe go to every year, um, much less expensive than U.S. schools, by the way. Mm. And um, envious and it, of that. <laughs> <laughs> 
And it turned out that one of my younger half sisters uh, who grew up in a completely different circumstance across the country also went to this tiny school a year after I left. And um, when she and I, so she, it's a long story, but when I realized this and she and I connected, it totally changed my view of the whole thing. First of all, because, well, first of all, it was just mind blowing because nature nurture is just wild. I mean, she and I grew up in completely different circumstances. She had a very stable upbringing to, you know, a nuclear family. I had, you know, a very unconventional situation, less stable. And yet we still wound up at this tiny art school studying this obscure art form. And so, you know, that just, I used to think that nurture was all of it. And and now I'm like, oh my gosh, nature is so much. Um, And so that's wild. (laughs) And then there are also some, you know, scary ramifications of that. Cause my father is now severely mentally, you know, unwell. And, right. um, so, so thinking about the genetic parts of that are also, you know, a lot, but, um, but there was some, the, the other thing that, so there was this wild, um, coincidence mm-hmm. that we had both gone to school together. And then also, and Jennifer was so like me. And so that's her name, Jennifer, she's now a close friend but she was so like me in so many ways. And then also she had grown up in this tiny family where she had no siblings. And she said, you know, she described her life as somewhat uneventful and boring. And so learning that she had this, you know, this other father that she didn't know about all of these siblings, this to her was the most exciting thing that had ever happened to her. (laughs) And her enthusiasm was just, I, I thought this was such a drag. This was horrible that this right. would happen. And she just thought it was so exciting. And I had this profound moment where I realized, oh my gosh, this is a choice. I'm choosing to see this as negative. And I could just as easily switch and see it as exciting and amazing and magical. And so, you know, Jennifer, her attitude just completely shifted mine. And that's what made me open to meeting the other siblings. So back to answering your question, I, well, so, uh, so I introduced Jennifer and the story and, you know, the wild way in which she and I were even connected, which of course was also my mother's fault in a way, but, um, or her gift, uh, (laughs) accidental gift, but, um, but I introduced Jennifer and then, and then through Jennifer, I start to introduce a sibling after a sibling. And then, you know, we start to meet them and I talk about what that psychological experience was like and then yeah and you know the other wild thing is just there's an there's another part of this book for all of the kids that are you know are realizing now because of the rise of ancestry and 23andme Mm -hmm. that they had a sperm donor many of who didn't know that and um so i have a neighbor that just realized by taking a 23andme test that her dad is not her father that she had this other parent and then i just realized another friend also had that same discovery and so I also tell the story of my, you know, that wasn't my story. I knew my dad. Right. Um, but for all of my siblings, that is their story. And so I also tell, um, you know, through bits, through their stories, what that is like, what, you know, what it's like to think that you're biologically related to a father you were raised by, and then realize in your late twenties or early thirties that no, you have this other genetic uh, you know, parent who, mm-hmm. you know, and what was really interesting for me is their, that their patterns, like psychological patterns that they each have gone through as they've made this discovery. So the <laughs> first one is they all look in the mirror and they suddenly see another face. 
And they suddenly start thinking about all the traits that they, that made them feel like aliens in their family, because they just had like for Jennifer, she had this wild spirit and she was very experimental with drugs. And like her parents were not at all that way. And she was spiritually curious in ways that neither of her parents were. And she's like, Oh, that comes from this biological side of me. And so in a way, um, while it was destabilizing for many of the siblings, it was also incredibly validating Absolutely. of an internal experience that they couldn't understand. So that's fascinating. It's so fascinating. Yeah, it's something else. And, it, and it's so common now with the rise of these DNA testing sites, because in right. the past, these would just be family secrets that you know, got passed down and no one knew about. And now, you know, for better or worse, all these secrets are being unearthed because of the, you know, so it's a new world we're living in. Um, It really is. And it does all, as we were saying earlier, kind of go back to shame, you know, those, those secrets, those, those things that we kept at all, that's, you know, kind of the, the through line that we all kind of hold on to something, but, you know, sooner or later, the truth will out as they used to say in court. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And if you can look at that truth, I think that there's like a rainbow at the end or, you know, pot of gold at the end of the rainbow, whatever, whatever the saying is. I think that, I think there's always something more to be gained from the truth. Absolutely. Living authentically will always serve you in the best way possible. Now, how has your view of what it means to be a family changed throughout this whole experience, through the emotions you felt when recording and listening back to the audiobook, from writing, from edits? I mean, I, I know you've challenged a lot of your beliefs along this entire process. It's, you know, this has been a, a work in progress just of yourself for so long. But as you kind of come toward the publishing date, how has your view on family changed? Hmm. Well, I think, you know, I, I guess I just have, I do, I have different buckets in my head of people that I consider to be my family. And it's, um, mm-hmm. you know, I have my close tight knit family, which is my mother and my sister, uh, my husband and children, and, you know, a couple chosen family members, I guess you would say that people sure. are not related to me, but I consider my family. And then I have this larger biological family, um, which is, I would say, similar to the, maybe the psychological experience of having cousins. Like you have a couple favorite cousins and then a couple other ones that you're not as close to, but if they were in town, you might get a coffee with them. Right. Um, Some have become really close friends, you know, so now I have so many, now there's so many, you know, we find out about a new brother or sister every few months. I'm having trouble keeping track of some of their names where they live, you know, we have a, we have a big group discord. It was started as a, as a Facebook, then it became <laughs> WhatsApp. Now it moved to discord because it was easier to filter by topics. Definitely. Um, <laughs> Gotta love discord. <laughs> you know, like when it was on WhatsApp, it was all, you know, just a group text basically. And, yeah. <laughs> um, and it was a, a giant group text. Yeah. So as we, you know, as more and more come now, now, you know, I don't, I don't deeply connect with each one because there are just so many, but when someone has a deep urge to connect or we live in close proximity or have some incredible interest in common, then those are the sort of the ones that I become closer to. But yeah, my, my view of family, um, I have so many people in my life that I love and some are biologically related to me and some aren't. And, uh, it's, it's, it keeps changing my view of family, I guess, but I think it's an important part of life. Family. Absolutely. And I, 
I love the way you expressed it. It it just means what it means to you. These are people who come into your life one way or another. Either you've brought them in or they've, you know, biologically they're involved, whatever that means. Uh, you know, I, I think chosen family and actually exploring the dynamic of family as the people who, you know, you're taking care of each other in a way that's meaningful and, you know, and fulfilling is is so much more important than just the thought of duty or you know, anything like that. So no, I, I love to be able to share that message that it's, you can, you can have your cake and eat it too with family. I promise. <laughs> well, and then, I mean, and then there are complicated challenges with family too, because you know, they're not all chosen, you know, it's my, right. my relationship with my father is incredibly complex and I'm still navigating the complexity of that because, you know, I was raised thinking he was my dad and then realized that he was paid to play that role and that, right. And so what, to what, ex, what, what do I owe him? Do I owe him as a daughter or as a sperm donor? Do I, uh, you know, he's got such, such a, he's so incredibly complex as a human being. And I feel so much compassion for that, but I can also, you know, as if, I guess it's the same to having a parent that's still active in their addiction. It's like, at what, right. how much can you give without it really taking away from you being able to live your life? And so this is something I continue to, so not all of it is rosy with family. You still have to, you know, some of it for some people, you know, sometimes people are put in your path and, and maybe to learn through that challenge or I, I don't know, but it's not all, you know, it's complex family as well. Complex and, and ever changing. And in your case, ever growing, it sounds like. <laughs> yes, that's true. Um, that's true. Do you see yourself writing more in the future or maybe even breaking into narrating on your own? <laughs> I don't know about breaking into narrating. Right. Um, I, although, I mean, it was super fun. Um, yeah. I don't know if, you know, I don't know if I have a Julia Whalen in me, but um, <laughs> I did enjoy it. But um, I would like to write more after this. Yes. I, um, there were so many stories that I didn't have room to tell in the book. So I'm still exploring what, what exactly that looks like right now. I'm just, I'm proud. I'm proud that I finally got this story out and, you know, I'm so excited to share it, but yeah, I hope to write after this as well. That's fantastic. And of course, now I have to be nosy. So of course I, I would love to hear the rest of the stories. I'd love to hear more to come from that, but do you also have any desire to write fiction? I know as a big reader, I, you know, I'm just curious of like, would you write anything else? Are you going to, you know, kind of focus on your story or do you see just like, endless possibilities. <laughs> no, I, I do. I see endless possibilities. Um, I like fiction. I also love narrative nonfiction, even the, mm -hmm. maybe not memoir, like um, someone whose work I'm a huge fan of is Robert Kolker. He did Hidden Valley yes. Road, um, which was an incredible story about um, also a family story mm -hmm. about these, this, this family in mid-century America who had 12 children, six of whom developed schizophrenia. And so it tells this wild family saga story, which of course I love um, family sagas. It was devastating and also had beautiful elements. So um, I love that form. He finds these true stories and then tells them in a novelistic way. And that's, that's something that really appeals to me. So I could, I could even see branching into that type of storytelling. Well, I'll be looking forward to it. I really appreciated your sense of storytelling in this in this work. And I'm super excited to see how that transforms as you just continue to write. Thank you so much, Joe. It means a lot.
Now, before I let you go, I have a few questions just from a nosy podcaster. Uh, what are you reading right now? If anything, I know time is a precious commodity. What am I reading right now? So, um, so some, some favorite books that I've read recently. Um, so Hidden Valley Road was one of them. I loved that book. Um, my favorite memoir in many years that I read somewhat recently and then reread was Beautiful Boy by David Sheff. Okay. Um, it's the story of, um, it's, it's a true story of David's son who went through a severe meth addiction and oh. the experience of having your child, um, sort of the, the feeling of helplessness of having your kids spin out into this addiction. So that was, it's one of the most beautiful memoirs I've ever read. I highly recommend Beautiful Boy. Um, some other ones that I've read recently, um, Stephanie Dandler's Stray was a beautiful book. Mm-hmm. Um, I love her. I love Sweet Bitter, her novel. Um, lots of fun, you know, big fast turning, um, page turning book. Let me see what else. I also have obscure interests. I'm, I'm reading a biography of Abraham Maslow right now. I'm reading, I just, uh, I just got a little library, so it's been fun. Um, oh, do you know about there? Yeah. The so little free one. libraries. Yeah. I love it. So I I've always wanted one. We just put one outside and That's it's amazing. been fun. Cause I'm like going through, we have stacks and stacks of books that I've just been collecting forever. And um, it's been fun discovering books that, you know, maybe I never read, but I'm going to put in my little library and then, oh, I want to read that. So (laughs) I try to think of what some of what some of the other ones are, um, but they're escaping me at the moment. No, that's amazing. I love that you have a little free library outside your house now. That's uh, amazing. (laughs) It's great. Yeah. Are you binging or watching anything right now? Um, I watched Unorthodox recently. I thought that was just unbelievable. I don't mm-hmm. know. Have you seen it? I haven't. I've heard oh my good God. things. It was incredible. Um, it, yeah. The woman who created it, Anna Winger, she took this, I think she took a memoir and adapted it. Mm-hmm. And um, it's the story of this woman leaving an Orthodox community um, and moves to Berlin oh. and sort of how her life opens up, but she wants to be a musician. It's It's just incredible um and then i also watched recently fleabag have you seen that Mm -hmm. that one's a great one i mean it's amazing can't say no (laughs) yeah (laughs) she does family drama in such an amazing way she Um, really does yeah so i guess those are my two recent favorite favorite shows i guess perfect and then uh my other nosy thing i get to travel when we're not safe at home uh favorite restaurant in your area that you're going to as of late or that you like to order from my absolute favorite restaurant is angelini um Mm. it's this tiny little italian cafe style well there's actually there's a fancy restaurant next door and then they have a cafe next door to that and um and, you know, I have, I have two wild boy children and we, uh, we can sit outside and no one seems to mind when they're running around and the food's amazing. So that's probably my favorite restaurant right now. Perfect. And always actually. And always, Hey, nothing wrong with that. It's good to have one that, you know, you can always count on so and true. outdoor seating for the kids to run around. Exactly. <laughs> well, before I let you go, where can the listeners find you online? Yes, they can find me on Instagram at Krista Bilton. Um, I have a Twitter account, but I don't use it. Okay. So maybe not there. Um, (laughs) Maybe I'll start more, (laughs) but 
Um, I'm not a huge poster, but I, I do mm-hmm. post Instagram. So um, that, that would be a good place. And I also set up an email address for the book for readers. Um, oh, great. So that's normalfamily at Gmail. Um, just because I, I, you know, I'm excited to connect with people that read the book and resonate with it. So that's another way. And I hope people take advantage of that. Uh, I mean, there is an amazing thing that comes when you receive feedback like that. And every author I get the chance to speak with just loves the opportunity to hear what people thought, how they felt, you know, what their takeaways were. So I cannot wait to hear how people start responding to this. I know I will be recommending it to everyone the moment they can check it out because like I said, wild, but beautiful. Oh, thank you so much. I really appreciate you having me on. I super appreciate you taking the time to talk to me today, Krista. And just as a reminder, listeners, Normal Family will be out on July 12th. Let me try that again. <laughs> I made it all the way through the end. It's I thought truly it sounded been great. one of those days. I, I thought it sounded great. <laughs> you know, maybe I'll just use it all. <laughs> uh, but listeners, make sure you check out Normal Family on July 12th. Uh, Krista, thank you so much again for being here. And everyone, of course, happy reading. Readers can sample and borrow the titles mentioned in today's episode on Overdrive.com and our library friends can purchase these titles in Marketplace. Professional Book Nerds is proud to be an Evergreen Podcast signature program. To learn about other Evergreen podcasts, visit evergreenpodcast.com. Our podcast is produced, recorded, and edited by Emma Dwyer, Jill Grunewald, and Joe Skelly, and presented by Overdrive. To learn more, visit professionalbooknerds.com. Coming up on 5-Minute News, I'm Anthony Davis. You might think it's partisan because maybe it's critical of one side or the other, but it's not. It's just the truth. And I think that's also something that's kind of unusual for Americans listening to the radio or to podcasts because the news landscape in the States has been so partisan for so many decades. So 5-Minute News is verified, truthful, independent, unbiased and essential world news daily.